mentioned last week, or like earlier, I mean, last week was extremely powerful. Just a great week of Vacation Bible School. And honestly, every time we have Vacation Bible School, there's something good that always comes from it. I mean, the Lord's presence is here. The kids are coming. The parents are coming, dropping them off, coming back in here, and part of the things at the end. So it's always good. It's always wonderful to have Vacation Bible School. Actually, it's probably one of the greatest outreach opportunities that any church can have for children at a particular age, and also even for parents, because the parents come in, like I said, and hear some of it, and on the closing night, they certainly get all of it, and they have a little celebration time as well. But today, then, we're going to simply take an opportunity, we go back to Daniel next Sunday, but today we set that aside to review some texts and some lessons that the children learn during their week of vacation Bible school. Now, you're going to find there's four big ideas that were presented throughout the week from the lessons, and the children applied it to their lives and with the help of the leaders. But we're going to recognize how those four big ideas can also apply to our lives as adults. So we'll review those today and the related text to that and also expand and apply. Before we do all that, let us first pray. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, for just, the, like I mentioned, the great week we had for Vacation Bible School and the souls that were touched, the people who were saved, Lord, and just the seeds that were planted. I, I pray, Lord, for all of us here today, then, to get a sense of revival as we go through some of the things that the children learn. We also, Lord, want to learn those things, maybe relearn a couple of things, but just let us leave here today revived. So we ask now the Spirit will lead and guide and direct us now in this time of message and review of Vacation Bible School. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, first, to help the children learn in the Bible and about Jesus, Vacation Bible School is very structured, which it needs to be to help them learn. But it also comes with a theme verse for the entire week and then daily verses that the children learn and recite. So first we need to recognize the theme verse overall for the week, Romans chapter 8, verse 39, and the children learn it with motions. Kayla's doing some of those motions now. You want to do them for us? Okay, come on up. Oh, I, I can't do the motions like you can. No, no. Yeah, 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 right. I am older, and it, it is hard to reach down. Okay, all right. So nor height, nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.39. Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.39. All right, so there's the theme verse for the week. But your children recited that nearly every day, and the group that Caleb and I had actually learned that the first day and kept doing it. So it was wonderful they could learn it so quickly, but I mean, all the age groups did some sort of it and learned it throughout the week. But not only was then that the theme verse, which the different stories tie into that throughout the week, as I mentioned earlier, every day had a unique story and a unique big idea that supported the theme verse. So for the first day, the big idea was people can help my faith grow. The story was of Moses parting the Red Sea, written in Exodus chapter 14. And then the daily verse that emphasized that, that went along with that, comes from Exodus 14, in verse 14, where it said, The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So if you know the story of Moses, which I'm presuming you probably are very familiar with it, Moses in the Red Sea, you are aware that the Israelites were being pursued by Pharaoh. 
Now, after God's plagues upon the people of Egypt, with the finale being the death of the firstborn babies, Pharaoh finally let the people, the Israelites, go. He gave them their freedom from being a slave to making all those bricks. The Egyptians forced them to make bricks. But afterwards, when they were let go, Pharaoh realized he made a bit of a mistake. With the Israelites now gone, no one other than themselves could make the bricks. So then Pharaoh gathered his army, his chariots, and set out after the Israelites. The Israelites then, fearful of the Egyptian army and the Pharaoh himself, turned to the leader, again, that was Moses, and Moses calls upon God, as you're going to see in verse 21, and he stretches out his hand over the Red Sea, and the waters of the Red Sea part. The Israelites cross over on dry land, as mentioned in verse 22. Well, when all that is done, when the Israelites get safely across the Red Sea, Moses again stretches out his hand. It returns, this Red Sea does, its natural flow, killing many of the Egyptians that were in pursuit, as you find in verses 27 and 28 of Exodus chapter 14. Now, that was the story the kids got in day one. Now, notice, if you will, how that supports the theme verse. The theme verse, again, being nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.39 So truly God does love the Israelites, his chosen people. And nothing, absolutely nothing can separate them from that love. Neither their, their fear or, I mean, they even have whining and complaining on this journey. And not even, even Pharaoh himself could separate the Israelites, God's chosen people, from the love of God. Now, the kids learn the same thing for them. It's not just the chosen, the Israelites, that have the love of God. All of us, all the children, all the leaders, everybody in this world can receive the love of God. God loves each and every one of us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. The kids learned that last week, and we reminded of it here this morning. But as the story, what we've learned also is that all the people had to do, that all the Israelites really had to do was simply place their trust in God and believe that he would fight for them and deliver them from the hands of Pharaoh and the army. It's exactly as Exodus 14, 14 had stated, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. I mean, essentially the people in their fear needed some encouragement. If you will, their faith was weak, and they needed someone, and it happened to be Moses, that could help them with their faith to grow. So again, the first day lesson, the big idea, was that we all have people in our lives who can help our faith grow. For the Israelites in the story, it happened to be Moses. But the question we need to ask ourselves then as adults here today to apply what day one was for the children to us here now is who in your life helps your faith grow? Who is it? Do you have someone that can encourage you? Do you have someone that can help you when you begin to have doubt? When your faith begins to falter or become stagnant and complacent? Who steps up and challenges you to help your faith grow? I mean, the point is that we all need someone at some point in life to help us mature and grow in our faith. So the question for us this morning is, who is that? 
Who is that particular person or persons? I mean, do you actually have someone who can challenge you? When you begin to seriously doubt or have some reservations or just simply have your faith to not be growing anymore at all, you simply become stagnant. Who challenges you? Who helps you to have your faith to go? We all need someone. We should have someone we can go to to help us in that particular time. And it could be a trusted, loyal friend. It may be a colleague. It could be your spouse or maybe a brother or sister, a church member, or maybe even a pastor. But the point is everyone needs someone in their life to help their faith grow and mature. That was a lesson not only for the children last week, on the beginning of day one, but also now today for you and me. People can help my faith grow. That was big idea number one. Then it came Tuesday for day two. We moved on to a different story to help support the theme verse from Romans 8.39. But the big idea also being different pertains to faith, which was my faith grows deeper when I use my gifts. The story to help the children understand they have a gift to help their faith grow came from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, where Jesus feeds the crowd, also known, maybe better by you, as Jesus feeds the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 was a story in John chapter 6. And I'm sure you know that story probably just like you know the story pertaining to Moses and the Red Sea from Exodus 14. But for the children attending Vacation Bible School, Many of them were hearing it for the very first time. They were not familiar. They did not know the story. I mean, you probably know that John chapter 6 tells us there's a little boy that brought five barley loaves and two fish. Now, as Chris explained to the students and to the kids, I mean, these are not big loaves of bread. And like you go to Walmart and find a big loaf of bread he was carrying with himself on that particular day. They're small little loaves of bread, you know, just small in size and and, and really could barely feed one person, let alone thousands. But he had those five barley loaves and two tiny fish, which is small, like Chris talked about, little sardine-type fish, small little things. That's what, he's, that's what he's carrying for his lunch. Five barley loaves, two small fish. So the children learned that. Then they also learned how Jesus took those small loaves of bread and those tiny fish and fed thousands, thousands. In fact, the story tells us in verses 11 through 13 of John chapter 6 that there was so much food from those five loaves and those two little fish, so much food that the people got all they wanted and they were completely full. Like Chris told the students, it probably was the best meal they had in weeks or days. Might have even been more had they had a chance to go home. It was probably more than what they would have ate had they been going home. And they were completely full and satisfied. Verse 13 tells us there was enough left over where the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. It's a wonderful story. You've probably heard it before. It's God's love, His provision. It's a miracle. Absolutely. I mean, no one can multiply food in that particular manner besides Jesus. But it all started with the gift by the little boy who simply gave Jesus his lunch. In that particular Bible story, note that God used an ordinary boy in his ordinary lunch to feed an extraordinary amount of people. It demonstrates this truth, that God can use you 
in your ordinary things to do something amazing. Do you doubt that? We should never doubt that God can do amazing things. We're just ordinary people. He's in in all of our lives. If we all of us would ever give our true testimony and share it with people, he would recognize, we would recognize that there's ordinary things about us in which he's made extraordinary for his glory. He can use you in ordinary things to do something amazing. Which supports the big idea that when we use the gifts that God has given us, which made me think of our ordinary gifts, we can help others learn more about God and deepen our faith. We need to recognize that each of us have been given a special gift. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe it's speaking or communicating, counseling or wisdom. Or maybe it's something else. But the point is that we should learn the gift that's been given to us. Use it for the glory of God. and It will help not only others learn about God, but it will also deepen your faith. That was day number two. Wednesday, day number three. Fittingly, the big idea was my faith grows deeper when I spend time with God. Now, typically, we understand why that's necessary or, or why that's appropriate because Wednesday is typically the day when we share salvation with those children. It was salvation night. And the big idea was not only timely, but completely accurate. I mean, think about this. How can your faith grow if you never spend time with God? That's true, not only for children, for every one of us in this room. How can your faith grow if you never spend time with God? Or for that matter, how can you even call yourself to have a faith without God's Son, Jesus? How can you truly say you have faith if you've never accepted God's perfect gift of Jesus Christ? Now, having said that, I also recognize that you know, we, we can have faith. Because all of us have faith in something. We may not even recognize or realize we have faith in something. But, for example, I went to the dentist a couple of weeks ago. And I had faith that when I went into the dentist, that the hygienist there was going to thoroughly clean my teeth. She wasn't going to just have me come in, sit down, look inside my mouth and said, Dude, you're disgusting. I'm not getting in your mouth today because it's been a couple of years since I've been to the dentist. And she could have easily done that. I'm sure it did look disgusting in there. It'd been a while. But she didn't do that. I had faith that she was going to clean my teeth like she's supposed to. And I left her better than that. Or another example of having faith. During the summer, I'm still driving the bus, picking up kids for school. Now, when those kids get on the bus, or when mama brings the little child out to the bus, because primarily it's little children, not so many teenagers, mostly little children, they have faith that I'm going to get them to school safely. So we have faith in things without even recognizing it. Or it may be even better for all of us, especially as adults, each day you go to work, you have faith that your employer has the funds financially to compensate you at the end of the week for the work you perform. In short, you have faith that you actually get your paycheck when it comes time to receive it on a Friday. And most of them now direct deposit. But believe me, you're going to know if you didn't get it. You have faith that it actually got to the bank and into your account. And we could go on and on and on about one illustration after another 
that, re that reveals to us that we have faith in something. We all have faith in something in life. But the faith that really means something, the faith that really matters, is in relation to Jesus, God's only Son, who paid the ultimate price for you, for me, for all of mankind. And we place our faith in Him, in Him alone. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He died a humiliating death. But yet, the grave could not hold Him. He conquered death. He had risen. We have faith in all of that. But the question is, do you fully appreciate all that about Jesus and the sacrifice? The fact that he conquered death? Do we truly appreciate the sacrifice and the, the willingness to go to the cross and take our sin? That's a question only you can answer. Do you really appreciate what Jesus did on your behalf? Because if somehow you're struggling for an answer, you need to go back and ask yourself the question, how much time do I spend with God? How much time do I spend? Do I, do I really appreciate it where I'm going to take some time and spend it with God and be thankful to Jesus? And, and the time that I spend with God, is it, is it daily? And if it's daily, I commend you. But if it's not daily, evaluate yourself say, is, is, it, is it weekly? I mean, is it Sunday only? Or maybe it's twice a week, Sunday and Wednesday. Or maybe the time you spend with God is simply monthly. Or maybe yearly. Or maybe you say, no, it's more than yearly. It's twice a year. It's Christmas and Easter. How much time do you spend with God? The point here on this particular day, as the big idea was revealed, is my faith grows deeper when I spend time with God. So we should set aside a certain amount of time every day to spend time with God. That could be the first thing in the morning. It could be before bed. It could be during lunch, whenever. Just do it. Three words that Nike has made millions on. Just do it do it. So should we. Make an intentional effort each day to spend time with God. I can guarantee you, when you spend time with God through prayer or Bible reading, devotion, songs, maybe meditating or fasting, your faith will increase when you spend time with God. That was big idea number three. Encouraging our children to spend time with God. But we as adults also need to hear that same lesson, that same idea. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three big ideas. Let's recap. People can help my faith grow. My faith grows deeper when I use my gifts. My faith grows deeper when I spend time with God. Great absolutes and truth. Not just ideas, but things we should absolutely positively incorporate into every part of our lives. But then it came to day four, which is the last day of lessons, because Friday is the day of celebration. So the lesson on day four happened to be my favorite, my favorite day. It pertained to Jonah. The big idea from day four was my faith grows deeper when I share my story. Let us review the story of Jonah. Take some time to review the story. You're probably familiar with it, as you are for a lot of these different stories in the Bible. But remember, 
these children, even the teenagers that was in Canaanite's class, admitted that they were hearing this story for the very first time. I'm talking about children who in the seventh grade told us they heard the story for the first time. And we may have heard Jonah countless times, really familiar with it. But let's recall it and remember a few things and expand. Let's pick up the read in Jonah chapter 1, but let's look in verse 2. Of course, the word of the Lord came to Jonah in verse 1. But in verse 2, we know it says, Arise, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For the evil has come up before me. But of course, you know what happens in verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. He didn't go where he wanted to, God wanted him to go. He, he fled from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He went down into it, to the boat, to go with him to Tarshish. He went away from the presence of the Lord. So essentially, we know the beginning of the story of Jonah. He disobeys. He flees from the presence of the Lord. But we also know that God is not done with Jonah. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. But then the mariners, who were quite experienced, were afraid and cried out to his God, not our God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and then laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Notice, as you already know, that Jonah had absolutely no remorse for his disobedience to God. What's he doing? He is sleeping. We like to say that Jonah is maybe sleeping like a baby, but I know that not all babies sleep during the night. So it's not really sleeping like a baby. He's sleeping like Kurt was. It was so tiresome throughout all five days of vacation Bible school because I get home at 10, I get up at 4, I'm tired. Friday, I'm drained. So Friday night, I'm sleeping better than the baby. I slept 10 hours, y'all, straight. It never happens to me. So I, he's, Jonah is sleeping like I was from Friday going into Saturday. Notice how the experienced mariners were fearful. They were afraid. But Jonah, not so much. But yet Jonah knows why the sea is violent, why it's tempestuous. And informs the shipmates to throw them to the sea. Look at verses 12 and 15. Jonah said to them, verse 12, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So verse 15 they picked up Jonah and hurled him to the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. What a miracle. Jonah's in the sea. The sea is now calm, not raging, tempest like it was previously. And, of course, you know then as all that happens, you know the story well. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish. How many days? Three days. That's right, three nights. So that's it. That's the story of Jonah, right? It ends there? Of course it doesn't. We know this. The second chapter of Jonah informs that Jonah began to have some remorse and pray to the sovereign mighty God of the universe. And Jonah admits his disobedience. He even recognizes and acknowledges salvation comes from the Lord. 
All that happens is chapter 2, but we quickly go to chapter 3 because now Jonah has a repentant heart. And God calls upon Jonah once more. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, the message I tell you. So Jonah arose this time and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, information we need to know. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Notice, if you will, a new, obedient Jonah. Even though Jonah still despised and hated the Ninevites, doesn't reveal it here, but does in chapter 4, he still doesn't like them. He goes on to Nineveh. Now observe the city as mentioned in verse 3 is huge. We can't actually comprehend how huge the city is. So the kids hearing it for the first time, Chris explained it to them. He says, you know, it, it may be like 70 plus miles in width. And just so I can get a perspective that he says it's bigger than Chicago, maybe even bigger than New York City. Can you imagine going and walking around in these cities, letting them know that they better repent? That's what Jonah's doing. He's walking around. He goes one day's worth into the city, begins to tell them that they better repent, and they get immediate results. It's like a preacher's best dream, right? That's what's happening. So the people of Nineveh, even the king, as revealed in the following verses, is in on the repentance. He shows remorse and orders a fast. Look with me in verse 6. The king of Nineveh arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth. Verse 7, he issued a proclamation published throughout Nineveh that he said, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Now, listen. That's not just you and me. You notice how it's you and me, all people, the king declared, got off his throne, put on a sack, off the ashes, and all these different things, made his proclamation like kings like to do, and then he said, look, nobody's eating, drinking anything. Not just y'all, but even the cows. That's got to be the worst noise I think a person's probably ever heard. You ever, you ever know what it's like when you don't feed your animals? They wail and complain and cry and stuff for for, for hours. So that's the noise that's happening throughout Nineveh. But notice as all of this happening, verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. All because Jonah was swallowed by a fish from his disobedience, he followed up and prayed for forgiveness. He acknowledged the power of God and was obedient to the task that God had given him to do. What a story. Jonah has quite a story indeed. He has an incredible story that he can share with people. The point here is to make sure you share your story to deepen your faith, to help your faith grow. Share your story to help your faith grow. Jonah has an incredible story to share. I mean, who would believe anything like that ever happened? Jonah can share and say, dude, this was real. I was actually, I, I got vomited on dry land by a fish. I smelled horrible. 
Because when you go fishing, you can't get the smell off your hands for days when you touch the fish. Caleb won't even do it. She won't touch the fish. She has me take it off the hook. But it's horrible. They can share that story of everybody he knows. And as we see what's happened to Jonah, we've been thinking, well, okay, I'm hearing you. We need to share our story, both children and adults. When we come to Jesus, we need to truly share that story. But my story's not that exciting. I didn't get swallowed by a fish. I wasn't in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. So we think that sometimes my story is not so interesting. Nothing like ever happens to me. But we need to think about it further. Because weren't you also, perhaps like Jonah, in that you had a period of selfishness and disobedience to God in your life? Just sinning willingly? I mean, most likely the answer is yes, because it seems all of us at one time in our life or another were living selfishly and disobediently. So it makes no difference if your story is as extravagant as Jonah. You still have a story. So go share it. Go tell it. Tell people what God has done for you. And there's two reasons why we should do so. Number one, your story can help someone else in coming to Christ. And number two, your faith grows deeper when you share your story. Remember the big idea from day four. My faith grows deeper when I share my story. So we don't have to go travel super far like Jonah to share the story. We ain't got to go across seas. I mean, Heather has come home and she's going to be giving us her story at the end of August and doing some things she's been doing since she's been gone. But we don't have to go. It's good to, but we don't have to go overseas or be swallowed by a fish to tell our story because I bet there's someone you know. Maybe someone you see every day with whom you can share your story. I mean, you do have a story, right? Your own personal story of how God rescued you from the life of sin, from the selfishness, from living for self rather than living for God. I mean, you have a story. You mean maybe a story of how you hit rock bottom and then cried out to God and God heard your desperation and rescued you from the pit? You have a story. You have a story, right? Don't you have a story? You have a story only if you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Other than that, you have no story. But if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have a story. And you should share it. As it was for Kinley last week. Here's the picture of Kinley. We had an inflatable that all the inflatables had two of them, both had water. One, they both had giant slides, and one particular inflatable had this little pool at the bottom. And the pool began to fill, at least knee-deep, with water. And Kenley, well, and Daniel, Daniel White and Kimberly Webster, both accepted Christ during the time of last week. And we had many other kids who were entertaining the thought that actually didn't get a chance to talk to a leader and commit themselves like Kenley and Daniel did. But when it came time for Kenley, we began to recognize that she might not be around in Oklahoma City much longer for her chance to get baptized, which is what her heart was deeply de uh, desiring. So I think she looked at Roger and she said, this water is here. Can we be baptized tonight? Roger comes to me and said, Kurt, what do you think about baptizing Kinley tonight? I said, is it deep enough? And he said, yeah, I think it is. 
So we all gathered everybody together. We went out to the little pool over here by the air conditioners where we're sitting, and we had a baptism for Kenley Webster Friday evening. And she has a story. And Daniel will have a story. When Daniel come to me and told me he was ready to receive Christ, and I quizzed him on it all, and I mean, as a seven-year-old, he doesn't have it all. He's going to grow and mature in his faith. Yeah, like we all do. But he knows the basics. He knows he has sin. He knows he does bad things. Just like it was for Declan when Declan received Christ. He, he knows that he had those things that he was doing he was not supposed to do. And he knows it's called sin. And he knows he needs a Savior. And he knows the Savior is Jesus. Well, that's it. He got a story. It'll grow and mature, but he's got a story. Daniel, Declan, Kimberly, I mean, uh, all of us have stories. Kinley, we, we have stories, and she has a story now how she was baptized in an inflatable and how now, this day, she wanted to be here, and she could not because it took her back to this horrible home environment where she probably been cursed at this morning while we're enjoying the Lord. Her parents took her back to Madison, and the first thing she told them that she was baptized, and they got angry. She's not in a home of love. So be praying for Kenley. But she has a story. You only have a story if you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You have a story, right? Don't you have a story? And if you come to Jesus, if you don't have the story, then come to Jesus today. Get the story. Get the real deal. Get, get Jesus. And then tell your story. Be willing to tell your story. It may not be like Jonah, but that's okay. You have a story. You should share it. Your faith goes deeper when you share your story. And it can also help someone else receive Christ. So share your story. That was the point. But before we close, let me just point out something. Have you ever recognized that we, at times, are very willing to tell our story, but not the story? I mean, we can become eager and excited to tell someone the story about our greatest accomplishment, like the best deer hunt, the biggest deer I ever got, or the, the biggest fish I ever caught, or the best bargain I ever got when I was shopping or the home run the game winning RBI or the last second basket to win the game or as, as parents and grand, as parents and grandparents we can always tell people about our children and our grandchildren and their accomplishments and, and I can even tell you about my obsession with racing I, I'm willing to tell my story but is it my story is it the story no when it comes to sharing our story of how we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it seems to become silent. Like an untold story. So we need to ask ourselves why. Of all the stories we tell, why is when we come to receive Jesus not part of the story we tell people? Is it because we're embarrassed or ashamed? If so, recognize Jesus mentioned in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, it is written, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angels. 
be not ashamed or embarrassed ever to tell your story. Yeah, Jonah's got a great story. And you think your story meant compared to Jonah. But nonetheless, you have a story. If you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have a story. In fact, if I dare say this, you should be so willing, so repetitious in telling your story, people may run from you and just be bored when you tell them over and over and over again. That's how often we're sharing our story. You're sharing your story because you can help someone else come to Christ. And your faith grows deeper when you share your story. And just finally remember this. You have the greatest story ever to tell. The greatest story ever told is about Jesus. That's the greatest story ever told. If you come to Jesus, share that story. We have children that received Jesus last week. That's a wonderful story. We have seeds that were planted last week. But everything everybody did by pulling together, decorating, bringing things in, no matter what it is, when you contributed to Vacation Bible School last week, you helped someone with their story. So feel good about it. Brag about it. Shout it out. And even tell your story what Christ has done for you. Vacation Bible School was wonderful this year. Memorable. And I thank you. I thank you so much for allowing Crossroads Baptist Church to reach out to the community and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today, a recap, if you will, of Vacation Bible School and what the things learned from children and how we even can apply it now to our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings we received from last week. I pray, Lord, we continue to receive blessings from children who maybe even stirring their heart today and contemplating the decision. Maybe they were tinkering on the border last week of maybe accepting Christ. And maybe still stirring their heart today, Lord. In fact, I pray right now you'll continue to stir in their heart. That you bring them back, Lord, to church. Or they find a, find a church home in which they can continue to grow and mature. But we thank you for the opportunity you gave to us last week. Of planting seeds and watering. And even harvesting. But it's not over. There's still more work to be done. I pray, Lord, to use all of us in whatever way to continue to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I pray now for anyone here today that's never made a decision to accept Christ into their life. They would do so today before I recognize it would be everlasting too late. Lord, thank you for the blessings you give us. In Jesus' name we pray.